This is an AMI podcast. Have you ever wanted to find out some of the things we do and say on commercial breaks? Well, you're about to hear some things you've never heard before on the neutral zone. Be warned. As the saying goes on our show, you never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone. Viewer discretion is advised. We'll do it live. We'll do it live from AMI headquarters in the center of it all. Holy moly! This, the most genius, unbelievable, is the most amazing, sensational, dramatic in history. The neutral zone. It's good! Oh my goodness. Welcome to it, another edition of the neutral zone. I am your host, Brock Richardson, joined this week by Cuba Cam. You're sitting in an alternate seat this week. I know. I would like to mix things up every uh, once in a while, uh, but not too much because I don't like change. So. And King Rakovina. And of course, Jeff Ryman. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Oh, very well. You know, you don't like change. Like, change is the one constant in our lives. I agree with that, but you know, it's kind of nice to have the same routine, everything kind of the same. If everything's, like, so different all the time, you know, my anxiety goes up and I just get, you know, discombobulated. I don't know. Jeff, how you, you doing? I, you know, I have, I have one question. Okay, we'll go ahead. And then I, I, got, I got a question for Cam, <laughs> go for it, actually. Dave, go. Okay. <laughs> there still oh. is a lot of talk in the Toronto media about, you know, all these people crying, all, you know, Leaf Nation crying, especially since the Bruins now are going to the Stanley Cup final. You know, oh, oh here we if, go. You know, all this stuff. From a Bruins fan, here but we go. Let me, let's just say, Cam, and you're a pretty big Leaf fan, from you know, as I understand. Yeah. What if the Leafs were to get to the Stanley Cup final? Would that not be a radical departure from the way things have been for the last 50-plus years? Yes. Would that not be too... That would almost be overwhelming to take, would it not? It would be, but, uh, you know, if that was so overwhelming for me and I had had a heart attack and I died right on the spot that would be okay because the Leafs won the Stanley Cup. So I'd be fine with that. So you would have died a happy man. A, a happy cam. Well, a, a happy, happy cam. cam. Yeah, yeah, okay. There. Well, you know something? You, you do have a point there because uh, that happened to a lot of people back in 2004 in Boston when the Red Sox won their first World Series in <laughs> a hundred years. And, um, you know, I remember hearing one story about a guy who died literally minutes after they won the World Series. Mm-hmm. And that's what his son had said. He said, no, he says that's he, he lived just long enough man. to see it. Exactly. He died a happy man. Anyway. Jeff. All right. Jeff, how you doing? I'll, I'll lighten the mood just a little bit. We don't want anybody to die in studio today. But... <laughs> well, the Leafs aren't winning the Cup, yeah. so that's not going to be me. <laughs> uh, but Cam, I love your uh, outfit here. You're wearing the uh, sledge hockey hat, yep. a nice red and white hat, and a nice red T-shirt with the sledge hockey Canada logo on it. Absolutely, Mr. Nice. Sledge Hockey today. I like it. I like. Yeah, you know, maybe I'll come out of retirement and play some sledge hockey. It was really enjoying every uh, watching all those games and such. But yeah, no, I'm retired, so it's all good. But it yeah. was a fantastic weekend. Absolutely loved yeah. it. It was phenomenal hockey and. Yeah, I love the uh, swag that they had there, so I bought some, and yeah, Cam's looking pretty good. Nice job with the uh, play-by-play, by the way. You and Brett did a uh, fantabulous job. I'm surprised that we didn't uh, get into fisticuffs or, uh, you know, any heated battles, but it was about the the Canadian Sledge Hockey Championships. It wasn't about us, so, you know, we just stick to the uh, play-by, or not the play-by-play, but the color commentary, and, you know, sometimes we're a bit colorful. Reading the ensuing comments on Facebook that you guys, when you guys were going back and forth there, I think it was like the not only Sunday but also the early part of the week as well. I mean, uh, it's possible, man. man yeah. you, you know, you'd almost you'd almost think that you guys were like mortal enemies. Yeah, sometimes we are. It depends on the day. Yeah, I guess. The- uh, any day that ends in Y. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. So we have a jam-packed show. So usually we do a chitty chat segment, but we got a jam-packed show. So we're gonna jump right into it and discuss the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. I regrettably have to talk about the Boston Bruins going to the Stanley Cup Finals, but let's start with the um, San Jose St. Louis series, tied two-two after what was considered a controversial uh, Game 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about the Game 3. Was it a hand pass? 
Yes. It certainly was an impasse. Sure, sure it was. There now, should be, like, video reviews on, like, goals, at least in the playoffs. Yes. Yeah. Was that a game-winning goal, too? Oh, yeah, yes, it was. It was an overtime goal. So for any, like, game-winning goal, there should be a review. All right, so we've only got, like, four minutes, and I might be opening a can of worms, but uh, can and should the league make a change like that where they can review goals like that mid-playoffs, yes or no? Sure. I, I, I'm in favor of it. I, I'd, I'd totally be in favor of that. I mean, you just don't want to win a game like that. You don't want to lose a game like that, and you don't want to watch a game end like that as a fan. I mean, it was a clear hand pass, and I, I think in the NFL they review every scoring play. Yes, they do. I, I, I think I wouldn't go to that extreme in the NHL, but I think that if there is some sort of controversy surrounding the goal, I mean, if you kick in a puck, if you high stick a puck, they review it. I don't understand why they can't review if there was a hand pass that basically generated that game winning goal for Eric Carlson in that in that game number three. So I'd be in, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of video review anyways, and it kind of ticks me off that you can review, you can challenge, you can challenge an offside that could have happened five minutes uh, before your play started, and if it was offside, then that goal is disallowed. But you can't challenge a hand pass. It, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And I think the NHL has learned their lesson. They've already come out and said that, yeah, it was a mistake. And I wouldn't be surprised if they were talking about this currently and all throughout the off season. And if this is going to be a new rule sometime next year. Oh, I, I, I would agree totally. I, I, I you know, but it takes something like this to happen though before you get that kind of change. I am certainly in favor of a change like that, and I'm not even bothered by the fact if they made the change uh, mid-playoffs. And you've heard the argument of, well, okay, what about the teams that have been on the other side of the the situation and now eliminated? I'm sorry, you cannot have a Stanley Cup final decided in that fashion. There's no way. There would be such an uproar. There already was an uproar regarding this goal. I just can't see it happening if it was a Stanley Cup final goal. And to me, in the playoffs, there's nothing wrong with reviewing every goal No, They uh, should go up to the, the war room in Toronto to be able to uh, look at plays like that. And even if it's like during the play, when the next stoppage happens, somebody maybe alerts the referees to come over and then, you know, maybe they deal with it that way. Like yeah. an eye in the sky that kind of says, uh, we should look at this, hmm. you know. The only thing, you know, I, I agree totally, you know, with what you said, Brock, but I would not change it. I would not make any changes right now. I would make them at the end of the season. Oh, yeah, sure. For sure. You Can't had, yeah, sure. You had, you know, the controversy in the Vegas San Jose series. Sure. You know, you saw what happened Wednesday night. But you know what? It would be unfair, I think, to the league overall and, and say to teams like Las Vegas, you know, to see changes made now and someone, you know, well, you've got three teams left now anyway. What of those three teams benefit all the way to winning a Stanley Cup because so, of a blown call? So I have a question then. Sure. You're okay then, and I understand the argument, but I'm asking this question. You're okay if somebody wins a Game 7 on a goal like that in a Stanley Cup final? I don't think you're ever okay, but I, I just don't think it would be – It's you know, you're trying to right or wrong. I, I, I get it. But to try to do it now, I just, I don't know. I don't you think have it's, to do it after the yeah, season. Yeah, you have to do it. I, I just don't think it's kosher. I, I, I think you've got to change it uh, after the after the season. And then that way it's a level playing field, mm-hmm. you know, for all the teams. Jeff, quick thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think that they're going to change it in the off season, And, of course, you don't want to win a game on any sort of controversy, you look at the Brett Hall foot in the crease thing from in the 90s. One. I exactly. mean, that, people are still talking about that, and it's not a very good look on 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 you know the NHL. But I don't know. I, they're they're definitely going to write this wrong. I think for sure. Yeah, I hope so. Um, but we'll see what happens. The uh, Stanley Cup Final do continue. There's no game tonight because the Boston Bruins have made it to the Stanley Cup Final. We will be discussing that. At length uh, next week and further on, it could be a long layoff for the Bruins. 12 days. It could be up to 12 days. Which, I'm just uh, happy you're going to discuss it next week when I'm not uh, in, so that's awesome. But we're going to put in a call right to you and get <laughs> you on air as yeah. well. 
Yeah, I'm changing my number. <laughs> we're going to take a break here on the Neutral Zone. On the other side of the break, we're going to speak with bocce athlete Allison Levine about her recent World Open event in Montreal. Right after the break, here on the Neutral Zone on AMI-audio and Voices for Ability. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone here on AMI Audio and Voices for Ability. I am your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Cuba Cam, Dave Recavina, and Jeff Ryman. Joining us now is a fellow athlete of mine, also fellow friend. We've been around each other a long time, Allison Levine. She's been on our show before. Allison, welcome back. Thanks for having me again. No problem. First of all, uh, can you tell us, exactly the process of how you got selected to this year's uh, Canadian bocce team? Uh, this year was um, uh, the same selection process as, as every year. You know, you have to be on your provincial, you have to be selected to your provincial team. You have to compete at the Canadian Championships, which were held in Newfoundland this year. And... Um, based on your performances at Canadian championships and based on a selection camp that was held earlier in the year where you uh, perform certain drills and you're scored on that. Um, the head coaches select who they think would be best for the team. And uh, I mean, I won Canadian championships this year and because of my success as well on the international scene in the last few years, um, it was uh pretty easy selection for me, I guess, and I was put on the team. And Allison, you were recently in Montreal at the World Open. Uh, can you uh, walk our listeners uh, through the individual event? Sure. Um, it was a very special event for me because it's my first ever uh, international gold medal. Um, not only that, I got to, not only did I get to hear my, my anthem play, I got to do it in front of friends and family on home soil which was just absolutely incredible um but for the last uh four years i've participated in that competition i got a bronze medal first then another bronze medal a silver last year and i was finally able to cap it off with the gold this year um it was a pretty intense competition because we had uh, over 22 countries here um very high level of play uh, right from the start i had to play against my teammate marco Marco Dispaltro, which is never an easy thing to do. Um, but I came through my pool play with uh, all victories, made it to the quarterfinals, won that game, made it to the semifinals, won that game, and uh, made it to the gold medal game. And uh, there was a lot of, um, I guess, revenge matches for me this, this year, at this tournament. I uh, was knocked out by a Germany player, uh, at World Championships this year, in last year in the quarterfinals, and so I was able to play him again in the quarterfinals. Um, but this time it was me who came out on top, so that was that was really nice. And then in the semifinals, I played against a Brazilian player who beat me for the bronze medal at the 2015 Parapanam Games. So I was able to get my revenge on him this time as well and come out on top. Allison, winning these revenge matches, winning the gold medal, winning it on home soil in Quebec, these have to be the highlights of your career so far. Uh, definitely. I mean, I'm I'm talking about it now. It was two, three weeks ago, and I'm still smiling from ear to ear. It was really, really amazing. You know, my progression um, has always been steady throughout, right from I started from Bacha. Um, and I haven't hit my plateau yet, um, but it's so nice to win gold, even knowing that I still have room for improvement. I um, saw recently when you posted that uh, you are now second in the world, so a congratulations goes out for that. What does that feel like for you when you actually see it on paper put on uh, social media like that? What does that feel like? It's surreal. Like I can't, I can't believe it. I'm, I'm not one of those those types of athletes that have always had uh, goals or aspirations. I've kind of just been the type of athlete that goes with the flow and 
wants to do my best, but whatever happens, happens. Um, so when people said, hey, you're, you're, you're almost at your goal of becoming number one in the world, I'm like, well, you know, I haven't, I haven't been focusing on that. But then when you see it on paper and you realize that, that out of hundreds of people and out of the thousands in the world that play, that play Boccia, to be one of the best, not just the best, the second best in the entire world, is like it. It almost doesn't make sense to me. You played a team, uh, well, a pairs event uh, as well. Can you walk us through uh, that event and how that went for you and your gang? Uh, yeah, um, it wasn't the best competition for us in pairs. Unfortunately, we didn't make out make out uh, make it out of our pool to the semifinals. There's not as many teams when you're playing in pairs. So it's pretty much every single match is crucial. We had a really big win in our second game when we came back from a 3 nothing deficit. We put it into a tie break and won that game. And that was against the number one ranked pair in the world. Um, so we were super happy about that. But the next game we came back and we were just missing that little something. We had a, we had a, a 3 nothing lead in, at the beginning of that game. But unfortunately, we had one bad end that they were able to put four points on us, and it was just, it was over after that. But there's uh, no need to worry because this was just our first competition of the year. We still have three more that will give us uh, valuable ranking points for Paralympic uh, qualification. I know for sure that uh, I have my spot in, in Tokyo to play individually. But for me, I think my job is far from over. I want to be there with my teammates. I want us playing in pairs. I want us each playing individually. That's our goal. And we're just going to – we have a nice break until August from competition. So we're just going to be training hard and finish the season really strong. Allison, what does the rest of your competition schedule look like for the rest of 2019? Uh, yeah, so it's a little bit of a weird year. Normally, uh, I'm never in Montreal for the summer. It's normally competition after competition. But uh, we get uh, a rest from competition all the way until August, where we go to the Parapanam Games in Lima, Peru. Then in September, we go for our regional championships in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And then at the end of uh, October, we go to... Portugal for the last World Open of the season. And Allison, uh, looking, you're looking at representing Canada at the, at the Tokyo Paralympic Games in 2020. Uh, what do you have to do between now and then to accomplish that goal? Um, individually, I, um, I mean, nothing on paper written, written down, but statistically, um, I have my spot um, Confirm. There's nothing that can happen this rest of the season with anyone else in the world, or even if I finish dead last in every single competition this year, which is, don't worry, that's not my plan, um, I will still qualify because of my current world ranking. There's also a spot at Paralympics for the highest ranked female player, and the second ranked female player is so far behind me that there's no way that player can catch up. So I can be happy to know that whatever happens the rest of the season, I'm still going to be competing at the Paralympics, but uh, we still have work to do in pairs. We're currently sitting ninth in the world rankings in pairs, and it's the top 10 teams that get to go. Um, Japan gets to go because they're host country and they're below us, so it's kind of like the top nine teams get to go. So it's crucial for us for the rest of the season to uh make the podium at all at all of our rest uh, all of the rest competitions um but it's a it's an objective for us that is definitely obtainable is it attainable as an individual to get the number one spot before uh heading into tokyo as an individual I, yeah as an individual i haven't exactly looked into it i think the player sitting above me is uh, Euclides Gonzalez from Colombia. So he's about 20 points ahead of me. So we know for sure we're going to be duking it out at Parapet Ams. We're going to be duking it out at regional championships because he's in my region. So I think if I were to come ahead of him in both those competitions, I mean, don't quote me on it. I, I know I'm saying it on live radio, 
but I think there is a chance to get that spot. And Allison, if uh, people or our listeners want to follow your journey, um, you know, towards uh, the Tokyo Games, um, on social media, how can they find you? Yeah, my Twitter handle and my Instagram handle, it's both Boccia Allison, B-O-C-C-I-A-A-L-I-S-O-N, all one word. Um, and uh, I'm also on Facebook as well. It's just a personal account. But uh, I like posting a, a whole bunch of pictures and funny tweets about me, my journey, and uh, you'll see a lot of appearances uh, from my service dog, Gia, as well. And I'll just put it out there that Gia is the most adorable service dog I've ever met, very calm and very supportive of your journey as well. As I saw on social media, she was biting the gold medal after uh, the, the event, so that was really cool to watch. Yeah, that was great. Allison, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to do this interview, and best of luck the rest of the season. Thank you so much for having me. Good luck, Allison. That All was sticker. That was Allison Levine, a bocce athlete, on her journey towards Tokyo 2020. After the break, from one interview to another, we are going to be talking to CHL on Sportsnet, Sam Cosentino. Stay with us here on the Neutral Zone on AMI-audio and Voices for Ability. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone here on AMI-audio and Voices for Ability. I am your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Cuba Cam and King Recavina. If you um, want to leave us a voicemail, our phone number is 1-866-509-4545. 1-866-509-4545. If you do go that route and you would like your message uh, played on air, just give us permission to do so. Uh, and we'll be happy to do it. We'd love to hear from you. Guys, the uh, Memorial Cup is um, underway, and we're just waiting to get a hold of Sam. Um, but what do you guys like about the Memorial Cup? I guess let's start there. Well, from the game that happened yesterday, it was my understanding that um, Prince Albert, their um, strength was supposed to be the goaltending in Ian Scott. Uh, however, they ended up losing 4-1 last night, so that was a bit surprising to me. I didn't see enough of the game, really, to get a feel for it. Uh, I was bouncing around between Stanley Cup, Raptors, uh, Blue Jays, rest of MLB. You didn't stick along with the Raptors, did you? No, no. no. <laughs> we'll get into that in our next segment, don't you worry. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, uh, yeah, certainly. But, you know, that's what makes this tournament great because you're seeing the best of the of the respective leagues. And just because you were the best, like say Ian Scott uh, had a you know by all accounts a sensational year with Prince Albert, doesn't guarantee you a thing in the Memorial Cup, and you don't play these other teams either in the course of the season. So you know that's yeah, it's it's total unknowns really. That's uh, a short tournament at the end and, of the and day. Yeah, so. you got, you got to make things happen right off the bat. So it's uh, you know it's uh, it's good. The only, if you will, dicey part about it is. Um, and it goes back to selecting the host team because the host team is an automatic berth. Yes. And you do get instances like I think Windsor two or three years ago where they were eliminated in the first round oh. and had something like <laughs> seven weeks uh, to prepare for the Memorial Cup. And then they end up winning it. So go figure. But anyway, by and large, you know, the system works and it bounces around a, a different league each year. I believe mm. next year it will be in Ontario. I, I don't know where, though. Uh, I don't know if it's even, if that's even being decided yet. Now, how long of a time period is it that they um, give a host city uh, the Memorial Cup? Is it like a year in advance? Yeah, it usually is. I would think that they'll make an announcement next year, probably during this tournament, okay. uh, or maybe maybe even towards the end of it. Because uh, what I was wondering was, um, you know, like, do they pick a team that they know is going to be really good so they have a chance? That's, or... that's one of the major criterion, okay. yes. I uh, just did a quick uh, Google search here. It says the 2020 Memorial Cup will be played in Kelowna. Oh, oh it's going yeah, so oh, okay. oh yeah. I thought it was going to be in uh, Ontario next year. Beautiful oh, I was British wrong. Columbia. Okay. 
Yeah, British Columbia. So it'll be on Ontario two years from now, I guess. Yeah, I, it's funny. I thought they all alternated, and I thought it would have been Ontario's turn. But anyway, nonetheless. Um, yeah, and the one the one good thing about it this year is the uh, home team, Halifax, actually you know did well in, in their own uh, playoffs, obviously losing in the final. But um, it just seems like it's going to be a really, really good um Really, really good event. I mean, Guelph, I don't even know what to say about Guelph. Well, Let's... Guelph, they're the comeback kids is what they are, mm-hmm. Guelph. Like, well, they beat your team, uh, the London Knights. Yes. I think the London Knights were out 3 nothing in the series. Uh-huh. If I, I think that's the first so... time in my life, I've yeah. seen, or at least since the Hunters of Hunter Brothers have owned the Knights franchise, that they've, like lost, that exactly. they've lost four straight. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I went to about three of that those games, two in London and one on the road, and it was, yeah, we're just not going to talk about it. But I do have to give credit where credit is due. Uh, they they came back. I think what surprised me the most is their their uh, series in Ottawa um, when they uh, when they were down 2 nothing again and then uh, came back and rattled off four straight. It was just... It, what they did was unbelievable, and not to say that I'm necessarily rooting for them, but I hope that they continue it because they certainly can't go down two nothing in any series in this tournament. It's either win or not. So, and who's uh, who's the favorite of the tournament? I don't know if there is a favorite. Yeah, it's kind of a a mix. I guess uh, when uh, when Sam comes on, he'll have a he'll probably give us a better indicator of that. But uh, we don't yet have Sam, but. Uh, well, then we're going to just have to make our own uh, predictions here. So I'm going to end up saying that the comeback kids, they're going to end up uh, winning the Memorial Cup because I just think it's fate at this point in time. When you're down 3 nothing in one of the series, uh, you go down 2 nothing in one of the other series, and then you ring off four straight wins. And then against the Ottawa 67s, I believe they were down 2 nothing in that series as well. Mm-hmm. And up until that point, I don't think the Ottawa 67s um, lost a game. And then they ended up losing, it was either three or four straight to Guelph for Guelph to get yes. to the... Uh, a Memorial Cup. So, how about the comeback kids? I'm going to put all my uh, money on them. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past them. And even um, the coach and GM, I believe his name is George, George Burnett. Mc- I was going to say McPhee, but then I'm like, no, that's not right. George Burnett. He's the coach and GM of the team, and they put in all his all his eggs in one basket and uh, really went for it. So, I would agree with you, Cam. I think that they're going to be in in the mix when you. Um, get to the end of this tournament we're gonna switch gears we're gonna talk a little nba and then we're gonna try uh sam cosentino at the beginning of the next segment and hopefully we can get more answers on the um on the tournament and we'll go from there uh speaking about those toronto raptors first of all let's talk about some positivity before we get into (laughs) the uh negativity they went to game seven and can you say the historic shot of Kawhi Leonard went down, and uh, Joel Embiid was in tears at the end of it all. They moved on to the conference final. Thoughts on Game Seven uh, from the Toronto Raptors, or what? I, you know, I think the <laughs> the shot, let's call it that. The shot. I, I think that'll go down, and uh, you know, it's one of the biggest moments in Toronto sports history. I think that'll go with the touch them all, Joe, and the Batista bat flip and whatnot. You know, as far as Joel Embiid goes, I don't feel a lick of sympathy for that guy at all. <laughs> He's the epitome of the front runner. I mean, when the was it game three, I think, in Philly, when the Sixers smoked the Raptors, and to see that guy doing his airplane, airplane. spin and all that, you know. He's a kid. He's, what, 19, I don't care. 20 years old? No, I don't care. He's I, 25. Yeah, I don't, I don't care. You know, I don't care either. Yeah, that's no excuse. I mean, I've seen better behaved 15-year-old guys than that. I mean, it's it's just... I don't know. You know, it's just, again, I go back to the old Bear Bryant mentality. You know, when you get to the end zone, act like you've been there before. The and NBA is a different. Oh, it piece, is. Though. Oh, no. You know, you're absolutely right. Everybody does that, and everyone trash talks, and they're all about themselves to a point. Oh, yeah, um, a so. big point at that, too. <laughs> so, 
you know, I think it's much to do about nothing at the end of the day as far as uh, Embiid goes. And uh, the shot, um, it was phenomenal. It seemed like it was there for, like, ever. And it went off the rim, like, four different times off the rim before yeah. it finally went in. And, uh, like, everyone just with bated breath was waiting for, like, what's going on? Is it going to go in? Yeah. Is it overtime? Everyone thought it was going to be overtime, but by about the second or third bounce off the rim, then you knew it was going in. And that's the first series um, ever for a game-winning shot, I believe, um, in a game seven or to, like, to win the series in a game seven. So it's epic. I remember I scared the living daylights out of my cat. <laughs> she was literally like, what in the heck? Is going on in my apartment right now. And uh, my girlfriend was like, okay, so something positive happened. Uh, <laughs> and I had to rewind it to show her. And it was, yeah. I, finally, I can say the Raptors have something other than a dunk competition to go down in history uh, for the Toronto Raptors. Jeff? Yeah, it was one of those shots that you'll remember exactly where you were and what you were doing. <laughs> And how you reacted. It's almost like, for me, that sticks out with um, the... Uh, it sticks out with that Sidney Crosby golden goal. Um, yeah. Guys, actually, oh, we're getting fun. a call from Sam Cosentino. I'll take the call, and then we can uh, maybe get him on. Excellent. Perfect. Um, so we're going to switch gears to the uh, back to the Memorial Cup, and then we will come back to... Um, the Toronto Raptors, because we got stuff to talk about in the in the Eastern Conference Finals still. Jeff, do we have Sam with us? Jeff's working on it. This is on the fly, folks, as we... Uh, there, we got Sam. Sam, can you hear us? Yes, yeah, I got you now. How are you guys? Pretty good, Sam. Pretty good. So, Sam, my first question... Oh, actually... I'm going to pull back the curtain. I emailed Sam basically right after the Guelph Storm uh, went to the to the Memorial Cup. I've watched all kinds of junior hockey. I've gone to Mississauga games. I've gone to all kinds of Brampton Battalion back in the day. I've never seen anything like that. Can you shed some light on to what the Guelph Storm actually did uh, in the OHL and how they got to what they did? Well, they did something that no one else has done before, and that's trail three consecutive series by two games to none and come back and win all of them. So that's the that's kind of the historic perspective of it all. But when you look at their hockey club, it's not surprising that they're able to do it. I've you know, kind of been saying all along, and I think they're the most talented team. In terms of depth of high-end talent, I think they're the team that, that holds the crown here for that. Now, you still have to go out and play the games and, and, and win hockey games, and Guelph was able to to do that, but um, they leaned on their older guys. And there was two guys in particular that I felt uh, were really key in, in getting them over the hump in a bunch of those series. And that would be Nick Suzuki, who won the playoff MVP, 42 points, 24 games. And Dmitry Samarukov, who's an Edmonton prospect and, and a kid who um, was able to put up 28 points, and including 10 goals. So those two guys really carried a bulk of the load, but there's a lot more guys on there responsible for what they were able to do. Mackenzie Entwistle and Jack Hanley both won titles last year. So did Zachary Roberts with the uh, with the Hamilton Bulldogs. So those guys are familiar with what winning a title is all about. Uh, but they're getting, uh, you know, full team buy-in. Uh, but it's, I think for me it starts with Sam Arukov and Suzuki. Sam, you're giving us a pretty good rundown there on the Guelph Storm. Tell us a bit about the other three teams in the tournament. Yeah, sure, Dave. So we'll start with uh, Guelph's opponent today. That's the Rouen Miranda Huskies. Uh, 59 wins to set a new Quebec League record. 25-game uh, win streak that tied a CHL record. Uh, they had the league's leading scorer in Peter Abandonado, who's grown up as a Husky, who was there in the 2016 Memorial Cup, and unfortunately on the ice when the game winner was scored against uh, Matthew Kachuk's game winner in, in overtime to win the 2016 Cup. Uh, Samuel Harvey's their goaltender. has been to a couple of NHL camps. He's been to some World Junior camps. Hasn't quite gotten over that hump, but he was the goalie of the year in the Quebec League and uh, really a, a guy who's improved immensely over his five years. He was sitting on the bench on that 2016 team. So you've got a couple guys who are bitter and miserable from having lost that year uh, who are anchoring their club here moving forward, and I think that's a really neat thing. If I look at the Prince Albert Raiders, what an unbelievable year they had. You know, top two or three teams all year long. Won the WHL 
Um, you know, Brett Leeson is a draft eligible guy who's is now 20 years old and a guy who, uh, you know, has jumped on the radar screens of a lot of NHL teams this year. Ian Scott, Toronto Maple Leafs pick is their goaltender. He was the playoff MVP. And then, uh, you know, we've touched on Guelph, but the home team here, the Halifax Mooseheads are a team that's really deep. A couple of uh, Anaheim picks of their anchors in, in Bo Grew and Antoine Moran, their captain. They've got uh, three, four guys drafted on the back end that are really, really good at, uh, you know, moving the puck and getting it into the forwards' hands. So they're a team too that, uh, you know, is 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 a force to be reckoned with. Took Ruan Naranda, the the Q's top team, all the way to six games in the league final. So we've got four teams that are that are really matched, well matched against one another. And Sam, is there a game uh, for the round robin that you're most looking forward to? Well, today I think has great intrigue to me. You've got two league champions going toe to toe. You've got uh, the Huskies, who you know have two drafted players, one signed player. When you look at uh, Jakob Lauko's a, a Boston pick, a third rounder, Noah Dobson, who I think is a future star, and Joel Teasdale, who was signed as a free agent by Montreal, and you uh, uh, juxtapose that against a team in Guelph that's got 11 drafted players, uh, starting with uh, Nick Suzuki. And then moving on through McKenzie and Twistle and Sean Dersey and Marcus Phillips. And, uh, you know, the list goes on for their hockey club with 11 drafted players, four of which played in the World Juniors this year. So it's almost like a David and Goliath type thing. Although you have a league champ that set a new record with 59 points. And somehow it just seems like they're the underdog against the team that finished eighth in the league, fourth in its conference in, in Guelph but comes in with the swagger of having beaten, uh, you know, the top three teams in the Ontario League. Oh, Sam, every time you talk about Guelph being at the bottom, I I mean, I was a big supporter of London this year, and it just, I, I mean, I went to three of those games, and I just, I still can't believe what I've witnessed. Is there a level of, are you concerned about a level of hangover with the Guelph Storm in the sense that they've battled through this, or will this just help them push through the tournament, in your opinion? Well, you know what? I, to, what concerns me more about Guelph right now is the fact that you know they've they've beaten some really good competition, and I I I have the sense that they feel that the competition they face might be better than what they'll face here, and if and this is only my prognostication, and if they do feel that way, they're going to be in for for quite the surprise because the other three teams here are legit, and I mean they can come out and sting, and you know everyone talked about. Prince Albert against the host team. Well, what did the host team do last night? So uh-huh. uh, I think if if that is, and again, that's just sort of the sense I get, but if that is, uh, you know, what's going on here with Guelph, they're going to be sorely mistaken. And I think they're going to know probably about two and a half minutes into this game this afternoon that they're going to be in for a, for a real good match. Sam, having said that about the Storm, would you peg them as the favorite in this tournament? It's a That's a great question, Dave, because... Again, I, I think they're the most talented group here in terms of depth of high-end talent. I, I believe that, and I don't think you can, you know, you can convince me otherwise. Um, you know, but does that mean they're going to be the team that wins? Not necessarily. A, cu- a couple of things go into it. You got to have a hot goalie. You got to get some bounces. Uh, you know, one big key is winning your first game. So Halifax check check those boxes with what they did last night. Uh, when you have a win under your belt, and we're talking one game into the tournament here, you know, I think that kind of puts you as the favorite because you're already on that winning track. But if you were to assess the group of four right off the hop without having played any games um, based on sheer record alone and what they were able to accomplish, I mean, you, it'd be hard to turn away from Ruan Noranda. They won 59 out of 68 games. I mean, that's... That's unbelievable. And and what I like about their path here to the Cup is the fact that they get into a first round against a 16th-ranked team in Schwinnigan in round one, and they lose two games in that series. So they've had some adversity here along the way. They were a really difficult series against Halifax that went six games. So this is a team that, that's gone through some of that adversity, and I like teams that have gone through that. Guelph obviously has gone through a ton of adversity, and they've shown their resiliency. So, you know, when it becomes depth of talent against the host team, against the team that set a bunch of league records, you're looking at various points from each team that you can pick as to why you can make a case as that team being the favorite. And again, like you guys alluded to yesterday on the broadcast, when you have one win, the worst you can do is fall into a tiebreaker. So, yeah, I, that's, 
that's the nice luxury, yeah. Yeah, and that and to me that's I mean you don't necessarily want to fall into a tiebreaker, but it's certainly better than uh not playing at all in uh at the end of the week. So Sam, we really appreciate taking the time to do this interview and great hearing you alongside uh, RJ Broadhead and we wish you all the best for the rest of the week and uh enjoy. Yeah, right on, Brock. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thanks, Sam. You too. That's uh, Sam Cosentino. You can catch him and, as I mentioned, R.J. Broadhead, who will be um, uh, manning the broadcast booth, doing a fantastic job. I believe the game today is uh, 3.30, and then the rest of the week it's um, 7 p.m. Great, great hockey. and uh, Sam's always been very kind to us uh, with his time here on the Neutral Zone, and I know he's busy, so I didn't want to keep him too, too long. On that note, we are going to take a break. We're going to come back, and we're going to discuss now. We've talked about the shot. Now it might be time to get into some negative conversation about what we've seen so far with the Toronto Raptors. Right after the break, here on the Neutral Zone on AMI-audio and Voices for Ability, we'll be right back. I love Sam Cosentino. Oh, no, he's, he's, he's a great guy. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. He doesn't do it from notes either. He just has it all he just up knows. there in his head. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. I hope you guys didn't mind me just saying, you know, we got him. Because I didn't want to. I know oh, he's no. pretty oh, busy. Totally cool. I, I yeah, feel no, like. No, yeah, no, totally cool. Yeah. That's also why I didn't want to uh, keep him too, too long. Because yeah. I know their game today is three. Yeah, I he, was... he probably has other radio hits to yeah, do. Oh, yeah, stuff, that you know? too. Sure. I uh, I thought that game was an evening game. Huh? Uh, no, yeah. no, it's an afternoon game. Oh, is it? Oh, today, yeah, uh, today's three thirty Eastern. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, okay. Hey, Jeff, you may want to find that clip where I said the Raptors are gonna. Did you already find that clip? No. <laughs> you may want to find it because I'm gonna probably end up owing a <laughs> whatever I bet. What did you say? I don't I, remember. I honestly yeah. don't remember. Yeah. I don't know if I it don't was think a you actually or if put it was a, you something. actually put anything on it yet. No, no. Yeah, no, I think no. you were like undecided or yeah. something. Yeah. I was undecided. I think, I think Brock had a bet. Saying, I, yeah. I had a dinner. Yeah. I know I had a dinner on it if they don't. Uh, but I don't know if I said the NBA finals or conference finals or I don't remember. You what said they would win the conference final, oh, much okay. like me. We had the same. Okay. So you may want to find out, but I have no idea. I know I said it, but I have no that idea. That was at the beginning of the year, wasn't it? With, yeah. Or when like we were that. talking about the big trade. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone AMI Voices for Ability broadcast booth. And we are set to get this ball game underway. The first pitch brought to you by Brock Richardson's Twitter account at NeutralZoneBR. In the first pitch, strike. And hey, gang, why not strike up a Twitter conversation with Brett Wills from the Neutral Zone? Find him at Neutral Zone Brett. Swinging a chopper to second base. Rukavina up with it. Throws over to first in time. Routine out. Richardson is retired. And folks, there is nothing routine about connecting with Cam Jenkins from the Neutral Zone on Twitter. Gather the family around. Type in at Neutral Zone Cam J. And you're on your way. And that organ interlude was brought to you by AMI-audio on Twitter. Get in touch with the Neutral Zone. Type in at AMI-audio. We'll be back after this word from the Neutral Zone. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone here on AMI-audio and Voices for Ability. I'm your host, joined by Jeff, Dave, and Cam. Now, I have a question, though. And I've, like, every time that we're on break and then that intro comes on, it's like, and bring the family around. And, like, does the family come around my Twitter account? And, like, how does that work? I have no idea. I don't understand. Like uh, bringing the family around, I'm well, like, yeah, I don't think any family wants uh, to come the around. Question, <laughs> I, you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> question, I. Oh, have to shots ask. fired. <laughs> what What I have to yeah. ask is, why would you want to bring the family around? Exactly. <laughs> With you characters, when the way you I and Brett carry on sometimes, exactly. uh, it's not know, a it's, family. Uh, yeah, it's borderline yeah. unfit for family consumption. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we might have to get uh, Derek Wellsman, who I know is uh, listening to this <laughs> uh, this this broadcast because he does the editing for uh, Voices for Ability. Might have to get him to recut the uh, the Twitter. Bring the family because I'm not sure <laughs> he's done an awesome job, by the way. Yes, I'm just yes, absolutely, absolutely, one hundred percent. Family listening to me, that's probably uh, not a good thing. Apparently, Derek Wellsman has not followed you and Brett no, on Twitter. Not at all. 
He should. Um, well, we've discussed the positivity about the Toronto Raptors, about making it to the Eastern Conference Final, and here we sit and they are down 2 nothing as Milwaukee has defeated them the first two games of the series. Obviously, the first game they uh, had it, but then lost it, uh, going through three quarters and being up by, I believe, seven or eight, starting the fourth quarter and squandered that. And yesterday, I don't believe they ever led once. No. Uh, cutting it down to, I believe, the lowest I saw it um, in the when it was at its highest was around 12 to 13 a few times, and then Milwaukee would make their run. Now, should we be negative about the Toronto Raptors, or do they still have a chance knowing they're going back home? I open the floor. I think they still have a shot. Uh, I, I think this is basically what everybody expected is that Milwaukee would most likely take the first two games on, on their home court. Now, I, I think it was a big opportunity missed in game number mm-hmm. one for the Raptors. Yesterday was a different story, but the in game one, they obviously led throughout the first three quarters and sort of tailed off in that fourth and that ultimately cost them. But I think that could come back to bite them. But coming back to Toronto, somewhere where they're comfortable, somewhere where they've played well, is uh, going to bode well for them. I think just having that, that comfort of being at their own on their own soil is, is going to be uh, very uh, advantageous for them. The only thing is, though, is I played a clip on the Saturday Morning Gazette just before this show, and um, it was Giannis talking about seeing all the Greek flags in Toronto. And that's kind of scary because you don't want to give this guy any more, uh, any, any more oomph to go along with his stellar play so far this, this postseason and throughout the regular season. So uh, I'm a little nervous about that because obviously Toronto's a pretty multicultural place. Uh, but I, I think coming home for Toronto is, is going to bode well for them. You think there's going to be a bunch of... Uh, Greek flags in uh, the Scotiabank Center and cheering for him. Not I, th- I think so. Chance. I think so. No way. I think so. Yeah, not it's going to be wrapped in red. Hey, their their money is as good as anyone else's. Uh, I'm not uh, saying it's not, but know, like I don't think you're going to have uh, as many people as uh, you're saying. I think you it's going to be a sea of red in the uh, Scotiabank. You Center. may have a few fans, Jeff, but I'm sorry that will be drowned out by the uh, we the North. That's like uh, a hot take that Brett would usually say. I know. Ends up with Jeff and his hot take. <laughs> be better, Jeff. It's something, be better. It's something Giannis said. I can find the clip if you guys want. But it, 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 it kind of took me. I was like, oh, boy, yeah. You know what? He's, he's on to something here. Anything so, is possible. Yeah. That's all I'll say. No, and I agree with Jeff. Uh, that first game, the Raptors squandered it. And that was their chance, I think, to get rolling and get a good game and a win. And they squandered it. And I, after seeing um, a bit of last night's game, I... I don't know how they're going to do it. Now you have no choice but to win both games. Had you got a split, you might have been able to squander. Now you cannot go down 3-1, 3-0. You have to be tied 2-2, heading back to Milwaukee whenever that uh, game, uh, I guess that would be game 5, going back to Milwaukee. Um the one other thing that I that I want to make mention, I saw a clip this morning. It was uh, Kawhi Leonard being interviewed right after, <laughs> and he said, he said, uh, where do we go from here? And he responded very eloquently, we go to Toronto. And he cut off and went away. So, And he had a little uh, smile at the uh, end of that. He knew exactly great, what he was great, doing, what uh, he was great saying. Great reply. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I... I you know, I, I, I certainly would love to see the Raptors win. I, I agree. I think they have to win both games here, games three and game four. I'm not optimistic, though, and I'll tell you why. Uh, first of all, actually, I, I've got three reasons Debbie for Debbie Downer that. over here. Yeah, no, three Maybe reasons. Uh, I'll go back to the last time Milwaukee was here at the end of January. They smoked the Raptors. And I, I didn't like the matchup then. I didn't like the way the Raptors matched up against the Bucks. I love the way the Bucks pushed the pace. And they just seemed to be playing at a lot um, faster pace, fa- uh, a lot quicker pace than the Raptors are. And where you really see the contrast, if you flip over to the other series, the Golden State-Portland series, and the way these guys, the, the pace that they're playing at, and the way these guys are putting up three-pointers as well, especially... Steph Curry with the Warriors, uh, Damian Lillard with the um, uh, with, with the Portland Trailblazers. I mean, man, that's something to see. 
And can the Raptors play at that level? I think they can, but I well, don't. Well, they did the first game, and fortunately it was the fourth quarter I, that did them in. They, they, they kind of caught Milwaukee napping, I thought. And the other thing also that sticks out in my mind, championship teams do not squander opportunities. And I just hope that I, I think that that. But the lost. Bucks, they haven't been a championship team themselves. No, this they haven't. Maybe but the first year that they've actually been in the playoffs and no, doing no, really they, well. No, they haven't. But they haven't yet, anyway. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think you can. I, I, you know, again, like you look at, you go back to that Portland Golden State series. You know, if you, you've had stretches in both games where Portland has had sizable leads. And Golden State is just the way they have dominated the last four and five minutes of the fourth quarter. And they're doing it without Kevin Durant, arguably their best player. That's like watching those games. I, I thought to myself, you know what? This is greatness at work here. Like, like soak this up because, you know, you, you might not see this again, but... The job but the is... Raptors have been doing that as well as far as uh, getting the ball and breaking it out on a fast break and getting some points as well. well not as quickly, though. No, no. And, and the Raptor depth is being exposed as well. Mm-hmm. Whereas, again, going back to the other series, you're seeing the lesser lights on Golden State when they're called upon, they're producing. Mm-hmm. OG being out of the series so that far, hurts. that's a huge... That hurts. And the fact that one guy is beating on the Milwaukee bench, is beating the entire Toronto Raptor bench. It's kind of alarming. Um, now, they got something out of them in the third and uh, half of the third quarter and most of the fourth quarter, but the lead was uh, too Not far enough, gone by yeah. that point. It was, um, you know, I don't know. The Raptors need to win game three and four. There is no question about it. If we want to continue to talk about the Raptors playing, or not. Otherwise, we'll be talking about off season, and I really hope we're not there yet. But I need to see a lot better uh, things moving forward. Jeff, just just one thing before we get out of here is I think that we talked before this series is that they the Raptors have to play a perfect game in order to beat the Milwaukee Bucks, and they have yet to play a perfect game because Milwaukee is just that good of a team. So until they have that perfect game, Marcus Gasol hasn't been as good as usual. Danny Green. Uh, the rest of the rappers, not named Kawhi, essentially, they need to pick it up if they if they want to beat the Bucks. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. That is the end of our show, folks, for this week. I'd like to thank Cam Jenkins, Jeff Ryman, David Rukavina. I'd also like to thank our manager of AMI Audio, is Andy Frank. Tune in next week because you never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone. See you next week.